0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The conservative review with Daniel Horowitz.
1: And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for every issue that matters in the way it matters at the time it matters. Life, liberty, property it is all on the line. That's why we are out of time for games, shenanigans, and entertainment. We got to be seriously focused on the task at hand, as we always are. Today is no different here, Thursday, the last day of August, as we head towards back to school and our family. Can't wait to get the kids out of the house, uh, screaming here in the background. So hopefully you won't hear them. But we got really a lot going on because we have the stupid Labor Day weekend. So I want to get in a lot the next two days as well as our special guests, you listen to conservative media and it's never focused on the issue that matters in the way it matters the time it matters. It might, they might, might focus on an issue that's important or matters, but never in the way and the time it matters. It's all about symbolism over substance. What's, what's very interesting is every few days they have a new meme, a new hero, a new symbolism to focus on. And right now we need to be focused on, there's two things that matter. You take the top five to ten issues of our civilization that they are destroying us on. And you have the GOP house control with the budget bill. And you have the red states that need to be pressured to be Florida plus. Everything else is noise and doesn't matter and will not get the job done. So this week, it's this focus on this 12-year-old boy, Jaden, in in Colorado Springs that had the guest and flag, and the the teacher kicked him out. And and look, it's a great story, great kid. I think there's a lot that could be done with that to get involved with parents getting together in school districts and not just getting together to change the culture, but getting their kids together. uh, Just like the other side brainwashes their kids, we should do it the other way. I'm all for that. There's a lot that could be done. I, I don't want to look like I'm making fun out of it. But it's sizzle without steak. It's an icing without a cake. It's a melody or a harmony without a melody. See, if we had a movement focused on patrolling wayward Republicans and wayward Republican policies that could easily be turned around at the time it matters and the way it matters, then... Certainly symbolism and rallying cries and flags and symbolic people are important. But what tends to happen is we get left with nothing but the symbolism because it makes a great show. It's all a means towards putting on a good show, not using your show and your platform to achieve a great ends. So this is why we are where we are today with no focus to this day. We could have had five weeks of focus pressuring McCarthy to come back in session, dealing with our issues, dealing with defunding the anarcho-tyranny going on. I want to get into the anarcho-tyranny as our first issue. But just first on this all sizzle and no steak. This always focus on, on an issue that might be important, but not quite directing it in the way it matters. Or not in the time that it matters. Mitch McConnell, as you all know, there is nobody alive who worked harder and earlier to get rid of him. In fact, my wife, who's a technical illustrator, she made a political cartoon for me for a column in 2010 when I was warning people, basically, what's the point of winning back this Tea Party Congress if the number one ranking Republican will be Mitch McConnell? And this is before – he was always in bad health. He had polio as a kid. He, he always had health issues. Uh, but, you know, putting that aside, he was always lackluster. He, he didn't share our values. And even when he kind of did, I, it's like bringing I, – I used to have a line. I said bringing a Mitch McConnell to a Chuck Schumer fight. It just doesn't make any sense. You can't have a leader like that. And I was literally the only person doing it. All these famous talk show hosts bashed me at the time for fighting him. And I fought him and fought him. I helped recruit against him in 2014. No one joined. And then finally, after years, people realized he was horrible. He was horrible. And his net approval was way underwater among Republican voters, which is unprecedented for a leader of your party. He was ripe for the pickings in 2020, but Trump came in and endorsed him, and that was the end of the story. So now when he no longer matters and the more relevant player is Kevin McCarthy because they have the majority in the House and McConnell is done with, it's just a question is does he live out the year or you know, when they get rid of him? He's certainly not going to run for re-election in 2026, probably not going to last until then given the amount of vaccines he had. But now everyone's, this is terrible. This is embarrassing. And I'm thinking, la da Yeah, always a day late, a dollar short, or rather, you know, 10 years too late and trillions of dollars too short. We have McConnell's disciples that are now the big heroes in the Senate and in the House. And you know what? I laugh at my colleagues. I actually, ironically, I'm going to come full circle and defend McConnell... Against my colleagues. Mitch McConnell. Is more lucid. Than conservative media. Say what you want about him. I don't know what his cognitive. Prowess is at this point. But either he or his organization. They're still firing on all cylinders. They still control the GOP agenda. They are still beating us. In the primaries. They're recruiting in. Montana and West Virginia to get McConnell acolytes as candidates in red states. And the MAGA movement is going along with it because Trump, ironically, agrees with Mitch McConnell. Trump loves Jim Justice, the lockdown king of West Virginia, to run for Senate against Alex Mooney. So McConnell's actually winning. They're the fools. McConnell doesn't subvert His stated beliefs. The people making fun out of McConnell subvert their stated beliefs. Oh, it's terrible Mitch McConnell. Yeah, but McConnell is a dead duck. I mean, we needed to get rid of him 15 years ago. And even in 2020, you allowed your idol Trump to sabotage our ability to get rid of it. So I'm sick of these Johnny-come-latelys. It's either the symbolism, the way it doesn't matter, the issue that doesn't matter, or the time. It, it's already a dead ball. And that's the thing. Republicans are always looking backwards. So it, it takes 15 years to get through the conservative talk show low-IQ circuit that a certain thing's a problem, and then they become obsessed about it. But it's, like, it, it's kind of like fighting Roe v. Wade. They've moved on from that. And in a similar vein, I want to get to COVID and masks and things like that. So finally, you now have Republicans like Tate Reeves in Mississippi saying, oh, we're never going back to that. But gee, I mean, something so immoral, inhumane, indefensible, illegal, illogical went on for two years in red states. The children in Mississippi were masked forever. Forever in healthcare settings until recently. And despite Tate Reeves' statement, it's not like Mississippi passed Florida's law that will prevent it from coming back in medical settings. I don't think it's going to be ubiquitous, but I think in medical settings, they're going to continue cycling it in and out. But even without that, masking was yesterday's issue. Look, we need to permanently plow that under, and these states have not done it, despite the talk. So now, now finally... When we were begging, we were like, how does this go on in red states? May and June, July 2020, and way, 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 way past that. A year later, still doing it. Healthcare settings, two and a half years later. And they didn't listen to us. But now the issue is the vaccine genocide, what they were building up to. That is the issue. And on that front, they won't raise a single question about it so tate reeves was horrible on masking when it mattered and now it's like oh we're not gonna do it while his own health director is paying off influencers a thousand dollars to pimp the death shots oh but they're very pro-life in mississippi tate reeves give me a freaking break so many more people are killed and maimed from the covid shots than than abortion See what I mean? It's always yesterday's issue. It's always looking backwards. It's always relative to the Democrats. All right, so yeah, I, fine. Mississippi won't be quite as bad now with masking as California. But is that a victory? No, the Overton window moved over. So I just wanted to give you kind of a 10-minute presentation there. A couple of examples with Jaden, with McConnell, with... Tate Reeves and masking. And it's the same thing with Trump, too. Trump's like, we're. He, he, so he got a lot of blowback from the Glenn Beck interview where he was pimping the, the lockdowns. And everything. He's just like, we're not going to comply. But again, that's yesterday's issue. Now the issue is the vaccines where you're praising Warp Speed. And even with. But when it came to masking and, and lockdowns, you pushed it. You pushed it. I just want to clarify that point before we go on. But first, our sponsor today is really one of our new exciting sponsors. Trymiracle.com slash conservative. Miracle Sheets. I never thought I'd be this passionate about sheets, but I'm pretty passionate about not being hot. I hate being hot. And sometimes I used to go to sleep, and then you wake up a couple hours later, you're hot. And the reality is that People's temperature fluctuates at night. That's the single biggest factor in making you not sleep well. Um, Miracle Made uses silver-infused fabrics and makes temperature-regulating bedding so you could sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. So now I crave to get in under those sheets. It is perfect. I don't get hot anymore. Um, it feels different. The self-cooling properties are amazing. The other big thing is self-clean. Because they're infused with silver, it prevents nine, up to ninety-nine point seven percent of bacterial growth. Uh, so they last three times longer without washing them. And when you have four kids, that is a, a big deal. I mean, you gotta wash them eventually, but but it's it's a huge deal. And then, you know, finally, it's the price that there's a lot of other people that advertise on these shows for more luxurious comfort and quality, but this stuff just you're priced out of it hundreds of dollars, so here they're much more affordable, and especially with the deal we have. Here's the deal. You go to trymiracle.com slash conservative, and whether you're buying them for yourself or a gift, you order today, you save 40% off, and if you use promo code conservative at checkout, so it's the URL, trymiracle.com slash conservative, promo code conservative at checkout, you get three free towels with the same quality, and to save in. Extra twenty percent on top of the forty, and then if you think you get it and you're like, eh, I don't, I don't feel the difference. Thirty day money back guarantee, no questions, hundred percent refund. So again, upgrade your sleep to Miracle Made by going to trymiracle.com/slash-conservative and promo code conservative to claim your your three free towels and save an extra twenty percent off. Again, trymiracle.com slash conservative, offer code conservative. So I just want to make it clear, there's this narrative from the Trump people that he never did any of this. It was the governors, it was this, it was Biden. So again, this is the Overton window. Biden builds off of his spending. Biden builds off of his edicts. So in a technical sense, Biden was the one who had the mask mandates, you know, the, the airplanes and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, All the lying crap came out of the Trump administration. So, first of all, the airlines mandated it. And if I remember correctly, TSA would, would tell you to put it on in 2020, not just 2021. Okay, they worked with them to do it. They just didn't have that technical executive order. But it was all baked under his administration. It was all baked. And when they... Let's say they didn't do mandates. So yeah, they didn't have an executive order, but A they produced all of the fake data saying you need to be doing this, and B they went around to all the red states and and pressured the hell out of them. You could Google it. White House Coronavirus Task Force, January 14th, Florida, masking social distancing. You'll get a bunch of local Florida uh, reports on it. January 14th, 2021. Ten months after the lie. Eight, nine months after any sane person understood the scam. And he spent his last hours in office karening Florida. You can't make this up. You need to do mask mandates. That's what they were asking for. So like, yeah, we didn't have a federal one. Yeah, you just said that the states need to do it. It's unreal what this guy gets away with. The gaslighting is insane. And remember, this wasn't the deep state of HHS. I'm I'm sick of hearing about the deep state. This was the shallow state. This wasn't even the top HHS officials that were political appointees under Trump. This was the White House. The top White House aides were calling DeSantis the entire year and saying, you're ruining our reelection. Remember, Trump ran ads. And he said this during the debate, touting COVID fascism. He ran ads touting Fauci quote and and Fauci started one of them saying how Trump always listened to him. Again, most bad policies are not irrevocable. We said at the time, remember when I did the shows during March 2020, you don't have to presuppose, that was the word I used, presuppose that this is the correct thing to do in a permanent lockdown. Do a much smaller scale down bill just to deal with this week. But instead They funded a permanent change to mail-in ballots, permanent unemployment, permanent CDC funding for all this stuff. He built all of it. He built the cake. Biden was merely the icing. So we need to focus on the budget bill right now at a federal level. But I want to get to, before we get to our guest, I want to get out a couple things on anarcho-tyranny. So one of the biggest threats we face, the top five, is anarcho-tyranny, where they have a system, and it's not about two-tier justice even, it's about control. It's about control. They want to empower their interests. So when it comes to their people, you could murder, boot, burn, loot, whatever you want. When it comes to our people, just for your existence, you're going to be put into prison. But the problem is, so we already know that in blue states, you cannot function. Okay, that, that is clear. That you will be locked up for living your life, and the worst criminals will be exonerated. And worse than exonerated, I don't know if you guys saw, there's this article out of Denver, the Denver Post, I'm trying to pull this up here, where they are paying... BLM, it's one of the few examples, we have this in Minnesota, New York, New York City, a payout, a settlement, they're paying them millions of dollars for rioting. It's unreal. Like, oh, we, we didn't treat you properly. You juxtapose that to January 6th, it's unbelievable. But I have news for you. This is happening in red states too. This is from Fox 26. It's unreal. Every month, 30 to 40 convicted felons walk out free from jail on bond for possessing something they can't legally have a gun. Many of them go on to hurt or kill someone. Okay, this is a local Fox reporting. This is Harris County, Houston. We've, we've reported on this the last number, you know, five, six years. There are cognizance bonds they have there that repeat violent offenders that are caught illegally with guns. They just walk and they go on to kill. There are so many examples of this over the last few years. So this was a guy, 29-year-old Marcus Deshawn O'Neill. He's a registered sex offender convicted of sexual assault of a child. And last month he got off on parole after serving time for felony possession of a weapon charge after being a child sex offender. He was actually sent to prison for three years. But he was let out on parole. And the state asked to be held, and uh, the judge let him out on just $15,000. Next day, he walks out. 17 days later, he's charged with felon in possession of a weapon, a gun, and aggravated assault. He's accused of pistol-whipping a man that he rear-ended you know his truck on a freeway. And according to Crime Stoppers during 2022 and the first 6 months of this year, 2530 defendants charged with felon in possession of a weapon were granted bond in Harris County. About a fourth of them, 569, went for personal recognizance, meaning get out free. They they paid nothing. Now, you might be telling me, well, you know, this is a blue city. It's a blue city. That's true. But the state legislature controls the criminal justice system. This has been a known problem, and they went through the legislative session without dealing with the bond problems in Houston. And the governor is weak, and now they're out of session for two years. So every major city in nearly every red state is a toilet. This is pathetic. Whereas you see in Florida, DeSantis is leaning into the blue cities. They just totally give up on them when they have full control. By the way, every state needs Florida's law. Texas needs to pass Florida's law where you empower the governor to fire local officials. So you could fire... Some of these um, prosecutors and, and even judges. County, county judges, they call them there. But this is, <clears throat> this is the failure of a, of a movement to focus on substance. We all recognize the problem. We recognize there's crime, we, the anarcho-tyranny. We, we recognize the targeting. We recognize, and by the way, that, that's going on in Texas. These same cities, Austin, San Antonio... Complete jailbreak, but then if you defend yourself against BLM, you get 20 years in prison like Daniel Perry. It's going... My point is, take the top issues. Vaccine genocide, biomedical security state, COVID fascism, illegal immigration, crime, political targeting, trannyism, global warming, green energy... And you go around to our sphere of influence, meaning where this very robust conservative industry has the ability to pressure and influence Republican officials. So it's the GOP control of the House, and it is Republican governors and state legislatures and supermajority Republican states. And then it's the legislative sessions, It's the primary elections. It's the leadership elections, like we had with McCarthy. How often does this extremely robust and ever-growing conservative industry lean in on the issues and strategies and elections that matter in the way they matter at the time they matter? They don't. It's all these feel-good stories, the mugshot, symbolism, memes, that's what it is. What I do is I patrol in any red state. What could we be do- doing? And anything that's contrary to the culture of what we say we want, that should be zapped immediately. And again, you could join our teams, our strike force teams that are, that are doing this now. Conaction.network. We have in, a, in most of the red states uh, a team, you know, the varying strengths. We do have one set up in Texas. But we need to go through red state government with a fine-tooth comb and see every aspect that does not comport with our values, and we need an immediate reversal. And I will tell you, go down that iTunes top 50 list. If every one of these guys would do a show like I do, you would have a different party, a different movement, a different country. But instead, it's all memes. And that's why, you know, I meant to say this. Nancy Mace, she's one of the top rhinos from South Carolina in Congress. She is, whenever you want to pass something good out of Congress, there's five rhinos that are trying to derail it. She's always one of them. But she's now gotten these memes about the Biden corruption. She's become the big hero. So she's latched onto that. So, so now she's a big MAGA hero. And DeSantis says, may as well be garbage. This is what we elevate. And the thing about the substance is the style, I mean, the the symbolism over substance, it's not that symbolism isn't important in the right way. But if you incentivize a movement of leaders and thought leaders and Republicans, elected officials, that you're going to be elevated as a hero for memeing So then, what they do is they just, on on substance, they continue doing what they've always done, which is why we've made zero progress in changing the party. And they just know they could ingratiate themselves to talk radio circuit by simply focusing on memes. Oh, this is real cool. This is the point. The left has a movement of serious thinkers and doers so they have a movement not just in blue states in every red state if you have any initiative in let's say an 80 20 county that's going to go a certain direction on on a a critical issue you're never going to go in there without leftist opposition now maybe you'll overwhelm them often you don't often even in those areas you'll have the left getting away with it But even where we win, it's not because the left didn't show up. They show up. They, you know, pick your top issues, your top decision points, leverage points, legislation, elections. They're there. So they have their Twitter BSers, their memers and whatever, but it's all icing on a cake that's already built. We only have icing floating around in the air without a cake. We have a sizzle without a steak. So, you know, you'll have someone, a heroic moment. A 12-year-old kid does something. Or Anthony Oliver makes a song. And suddenly, they'll be the new Bill Buckley. They'll be the new James Madison. But they're not. They're not. I mean, I don't know where Oliver Anthony stands on the issues. Well, you're going to make it? Now he's on the top talk shows and Joe Rogan and... And again, it's important to rope in Joe Rogan and his audience, but they can't be the thought leaders. Because if they are, you get what we have today, which is nothing. You just dance around in a circle and the left runs circles around you. So we'll elevate... No, again, like, is this 12-year-old now going to be the thought leader? Again, it seems like a terrific kid. We need to raise more kids like that. But it's, it's... Only a movement that's devoid of any substance that any three minutes you could have someone suddenly rocket to the top as a big hero. The left never has that. And that's why the left doesn't need a a Donald Trump. Think about it. Their most successful presidency was literally through the conduit of a dead carcass. Joe Biden's a nothing. You speak to any Democrat, no one loves the guy. But nonetheless, they're being successful. They're implementing. You could laugh at a a Biden all you want. He's running circles around Republicans. You could laugh at a Mitch McConnell all you want. He's running circles around MAGA. Chamber of Commerce is still winning. And MAGA even goes along with it and just makes the chamber great again. Makes America gay again. I I mean, this is what happens. When it's not, a, when you don't have a cake, you just have icing. So you could take an excrement sandwich and put icing on it. And now it's great because it's got the icing. It's got that symbol, symbolic stamp. It's got the kosher stamp of approval of MAGA. But, it, it, you know, you know it's, it's like sifting through the sand and you take the sand and leave the diamond. You miss the point. And, and, and this is what happens. I just want to say it doesn't have to be this way. On the one end, we're screwed. The federal government is irremediably broken. The blue states are nuts. They're like Europe. We have nowhere in the world to go but to take where at least at, at, at a base level the majority of people would agree with us. There's very few places left in the world like that, by the way. Most parts of the world, they're, they're all in on this. The people are brainwashed. But to take those areas and floor the gas pedal, that's what we need to do. So I want to take this discussion to the next level of you know, actually focusing on substance and what we can do about things with our next guest, Steve Friend. So again, when we're discussing the two modalities of our operation, there's two things we can do at a political level. It's the GOP House, through the budget bill, and red states. Everything else is BS. Or, let me say, everything else is icing on top of the cake, which could be important. There's a lot of things we can do as people, as a culture. We talked about yesterday, just say no. A culture of opposition from the people themselves. But ultimately, you need, that's a rallying cry built off of mechanically something that you're pushing. The American Revolution was like that. It was the state legislatures that really created the Continental Congress, coordinated a political opposition that eventually turned into a uh, kinetic force one. But that's what you need. You need, ultimately, to utilize power. And in order to do that, you need to utilize your sphere of influence. Now, we have a movement well, it's really an industry, but let's just call it a movement that's yay big saying that the FBI and DOJ and other agencies, the federal government in particular, is taking us to the nightmare scenario, scenario of our founders and using the boot of government to persecute political opponents, something our founders would have been very familiar with and certainly would have wanted to prevent when constructing their new government. So that's that's a pretty big deal. It would rank in everyone's top three, and really, among my colleagues, it would definitely be their top issue, because COVID fascism ain't going to come up to that level, because they most of them don't care, or, you know, make the Trump, that type of thing, fine, that's great. So we're all united. There's a heck of a lot we should be able to do with that. But even on the issue that they passionately claim to care about, they don't... Fight for it in the way it matters. So we certainly talk about that with the budget bill. We're pushing Representative Andrew Clyde's uh, amendments. I have a column out today explaining that uh, that there is no excuse on the Commerce Justice Science budget bill. We should say we are not funding Trump's uh, pro- prosecution of Trump. Now, he's not the only thing that matters. There are other reforms that need to be pushed in. As I mentioned, the FBI authorization comes due Uh, The end of the fiscal year coinciding with the budget and you could only appropriate for an agency that is not reauthorized unless the relevant committee chair in this case Jim Jordan signs a a waiver. He could refuse to sign that waiver. Now, I think that doesn't prevent a CR. I think if you do a continuing resolution, you get around that. But eventually, at least a few months later, if they'd want to pass an omnibus bill, Jim Jordan alone has the power to hold that up by saying, wait a minute, you didn't reauthorize it. And we are not going to reauthorize it without a list of reforms. Now, there's one person that became a sensation until he didn't because he... Didn't just want to become a sensation and make hay off of this, make a living off of this, but he actually cared. Steve Friend has become a friend of the show. Uh, He was an FBI agent, uh, particularly on the SWAT team for a number of years, so he's familiar with the exact abuses of authority we're talking about. And he figured that, oh my gosh, I mean, we have a whole Republican Party, conservative movement that is just on fire over the political targeting – let me become a whistleblower. I'm going to sacrifice my uh, my career, which is a big deal because, you know, when you're middle age or close to middle age, and, you know, you get out of the FBI, it's not like you're going to start as a beat cop now somewhere else. It's very hard to transition to a career where you can make enough money to support your family. And then he slowly realized it was all about grift. It was just, again – even when they say the right things, it's just about a talking point. It's about ratings, or if it's an elected official, it's about just getting some sound bites. But they're not proposing the reforms that need to be done and using the leverage points to push them through. And again, it's through the House GOP budget, and it's through red states. So so we didn't cover enough when we had Steve on the first time. I wanted to get him back. And again, he's a fellow at the Center for Renewing America. Our friend Russ Vote heads that there. Uh, you could follow him at real Steve Friend on Twitter. Hey Steve, it's really a pleasure to have you back again.
0: Oh, fantastic to be back with you.
1: righty. So there's too much to cover, even, even just for our part two. We'll need a part three. But I want to rehash for people. What do you think could be done at a red state level if we directed all this energy? Yeah, I mean, you know, and you know who I'm talking about, the top 20 on iTunes if they were to work with Republican governors and Republican legislatures to pass laws, what are some of the things that you feel could be done to stop these abuses of of political targeting in the states?
0: Well, I, I think you can look to no better example than what I had the fortune of being part of last week down in Collier County, Florida. That was an initiative that that grassroots organizations started there to initiate a bill of rights county ordinance, where it essentially it creates a sanctuary county. Uh, therefore the, the government at the county level and the, even to the sheriff, the sheriff had buy-in would be willing to stand in the gap against a weaponized government that was doing something that it deemed to be unconstitutional. So I think you can, you can make an impact there. I think specifically to the FBI, uh, the sheriff is the uh, highest elected law enforcement official at the county level. In many states, these constitutional sheriffs have an enormous amount of power. And what people have to understand about the FBI uh, is that it's not the magic police. These are people who, many of which, have no prior law enforcement experience in their careers. They go to the FBI academy for 20 weeks, and then they are thrust into the highest levels of investigations that are supposed to be going on in our country. Whereas detectives at your local sheriff's office or police department, those are individuals who went to a police academy, cut their teeth on the street as a beat cop, learned the ropes, and then ascended into investigations once they had got their feet underneath them. So they are far superior investigations written large, far superior law enforcement professionals. And as a result of that, When task force officers are deputized, and those would be your regular sheriff's deputies and police officers who get deputized to the United States Marshal Service to augment the FBI, they bring a wealth of knowledge and experience and skill set that surpasses most of what you find in your average cubicle bank within the FBI agent ranks.
1: So you're saying that the lack of cooperation on cases that are political targeting, both at an investigatory level and maybe even a kinetic force level, would help. But you're part of the SWAT team. But, you know, so those guys are serious guys. Let's say they're like, you know, we get to the point where they say this guy Daniel down there is calling for an insurrection. He has this radio show. And he's writing things that are are problematic. I mean, we, we have to start entertaining this because I mean, as you yourself, you know, told Jim Jordan about what you saw in the Daytona Beach office, they were investigating January 6th people that weren't even there solely based on their political beliefs and interactions and associations with people. So you could easily, it's only one more notch to start doing that. So they send down the SWAT team. I mean, those guys don't need any help. They'll bust in my door. I mean, what, what could local what, what could local governments and a governor possibly do to put a, throw a monkey wrench against that tyranny?
0: Well, I think you're going to have to put speed bumps up. I, mean, I think ultimately there's a supremacy clause issue, and I'd, I'd like to see that fight come out. I think you could be reasonable and set some certain regulations or uh, parameters for the FBI to have to jump through some of the hoops and or at least test their willingness to do it or to confront it. I know when I first joined the FBI, I was assigned to Sioux City, Iowa. I had responsibilities to investigate crimes that were going on in Nebraska. And what was going on there was they required us to become deputized by the state of Nebraska. I actually had a certificate that was signed by the governor saying I was a certified law enforcement professional in the state of Nebraska. Um, That mechanism could be interesting because if if a state legislature or governor but some sort of mandate on the FBI to gain their permission, their authority through deputization, uh, th- it could be couched as being, well, if you witness a crime, you will now have state arrest authority. So uh, from one hand, you might think, well, now you've enhanced the ability to from the FBI. But on the other hand, you can say, well, we're going to revoke that deputization from you and we're not going to allow you to operate within our states because in order to carry out your investigations, you're using state resources. You drive on state roads, Many, many of these prisoners, when they're taken uh, because of the, the Biden administration's new uh, policy that you're not allowed to use private prisons anymore, they have to be housed at county jails. And certainly a sheriff who was energetic could say, I don't agree with that. So you're going to have to find another place to house this prisoner. So that's just another example. And, and I think uh, one that might, might strike you close to your heart, because I know you have a, a love for firearms. I think that in order to ensure safety, it's completely reasonable for a state to ask FBI agents to pass a state law enforcement officer qualification exam that they normally ask their deputies and their police officers to pass in order to carry a firearm further into their duty as a, as a law enforcement professional. You would be surprised by the amount of FBI agents that are not proficient in the use of a firearm, and they would struggle immensely to pass most state qualifications. <laughs>
1: And I think what's important about the bottom line is look, nothing is a hard trigger with the supremacy clause and things like that. Although I believe that, you know, when a government is tyrannical, our founders envision the separation of powers that other, you know, all things equal, one branch or one sphere of government might have the. Upper hand on something, but if they're doing something tyrannical, the doctrine of lowest magistrate dictates that you need to use whatever tools of government you have to, to push back against that. And you've got to step out of your line to get them to step out of their line and to interpose against that tyranny. And I think, you know, you could have talk show hosts exposing tyrannical raids or, you know, overbearing use of force, but it's not the same as when the state government helps fuel that and exposes it and says hey you know we're going to you know be flagging agents if we see they're doing some of this stuff we're going to take away their certification well yeah they might the feds might come in do what they want anyway but that will further fuel the fight which ultimately hinges upon the people you know at least at this stage in our republic pop- popular opinion still does govern um and that's actually not a republic that's a democracy and it's not great but um it does matter and it needs to be utilized because it's always utilized against us. So, you know, what you're saying is not a hard trigger, but it's a lot more robust than what we're doing now, which is just like the state governors won't say anything, do anything. You know, you at least speak out against it, defend people. So I want I want to talk about, um, you know, some real live examples that there's so many crazy stories that we want to talk about that just get pigeonholed. We're going to talk about one tomorrow. Uh, but one of them or two I want to talk about two of them. <coughs> there was a recent FBI raid in Utah, where they killed this guy, uh, Craig Robinson, or Robertson, who uh, made threats online to to Biden. And they came in there, it seems like he was really overweight and old and didn't pose much of a threat. He wound up dead. And then there's this case in Albuquerque where someone was, you know, a home raid resulted in someone being killed by the FBI. And I can't even find the name of the guy. I can't even find any information. Could you start with the Utah case and go through what you feel went wrong there, where it's coming from, and how that embodies the core problems with the FBI that need to be dealt with?
0: Yes. So there's, there's multiple problems that, that were exposed with this Utah incident. So the, the subject made some threats against Alvin Bragg in March. The FBI agents approached him. He told them to get a warrant. He didn't want to talk to them. So they left, and then he went online and made threats against the FBI. And all this happened in March. Now, I don't know what happened with that investigation. I don't know if the FBI just kept it open to keep an eye on him. They might have brought the case to a federal prosecutor, and it just wasn't brought in a timely fashion. But however you want to put it, Five months elapse without any sort of action taken against him in a criminal sense, and then he makes threats against Joe Biden in August. Well, one would think that having made threats five months earlier and not having followed through on those threats actually both in his favor as being empty threats and they're not really, there's no intent behind them. Nevertheless, the FBI used those earlier threats to bolster its case of probable cause and actually take the case away from a Secret Service investigation because of the earlier threats. And paint him in a way that he seemed to be making threats against state officials and the president and the FBI. So that was going to necessitate his arrest. Now, the FBI has a problem where it views its agents as case managers as opposed to case agents. So when you watch TV and the movies and the FBI agent solves the case and then they go arrest the bad guy, that doesn't exist anymore. The case manager is moving chess pieces around a board. So if you need financial analysis done, you send it to a forensic accountant. If you need evidence collection done, the evidence collection team does it. Surveillance, surveillance team does it. And when it comes time to make the arrest, they now default to sending the SWAT team that's viewed as the mm. default arrest option. So SWAT comes in and essentially introduces a higher level or a higher likelihood of a violent outcome because they brought those tools to bear, where a logical, reasonable investigator going up to the door, or as he was prior done in, three, uh, in March, they would have known he was not ambulatory, he was not in good health. It would have been far more reasonable to me to set up a surveillance where you just could have sat at his mailbox and waited for him to walk out and grab him. Now, a final portion of this that has evaded uh, any sort of spotlight is that the special agent in charge of the Salt Lake City office is brand new. She was elevated on July 31st, so a few minutes before this. I don't know if she actually had even arrived at this point. And in either case, it doesn't matter because there would be an acting special agent in charge, again, a temporary substitute in that position. And briefing up the chain of command to the J. Edgar Hoover building that you had a threat to the president, it briefs way better to say you sent the SWAT team to address that threat rather than just sending the same old special agent to knock on his door. So I think that that is also a problem that needs to be addressed here.
1: So in in other words, what you're saying is there's a culture... Where there's an on or off switch, and I think this is really what we saw. Getting back to Ruby Ridge, you could have a guy that it's like, yeah, you have these charges, and there it was trumped up and entrapment um, on on these minor charges. A guy, a weird guy, holed up on some mountain somewhere. That he's not. It's not a live threat that you need to come in there. You could await the guy out. You don't need to put yourself in a risky situation. But for them, there's no deciphering of threat level that this guy has ties to ISIS and major training and he might even have a suicide packed on him versus some kind of slubby guy that that can't move and then they get in there and get themselves in a situation where, yeah, you know ultimately it might be okay, you know it was you, you can't say they weren't justified in shooting, but the entire premise of what they did wasn't justified and that led to that is that is that is that the point you're making?
0: Yeah, I think that they, they are just more leaning heavily on these tools that they have at disposal. It's, it's just almost like if I hand a hammer to my nine-year-old and tell him to hold it for an hour. He can't make it an hour without using that hammer to hit something. And that's what the FBI has at its disposal with all these tools. And they, they are compelled to, to justify having them. I mean, the SWAT team has to have a certain number of operations a year in order to, to justify the tools that it has. And, and these are not, again, this is not the magical police. This is not a magical SWAT team. They're rolling around with standard body armor and uh, a carbine rifle and, and a Glock handgun. So it's, it's not like it's any more sophisticated than your typical Sheriff's Department sh- uh, SWAT team would be. But the FBI, I think, is is always justifying its actions by saying that well, we're, we have to be safe and, and we're taking our personnel safety into account by using this, this higher level of special weapons and tactics team to to, to bring this arrest um, to fruition. However, you are introducing a higher level of risk and threat when you do that. And you, you have to be logical and reasonable in, in your approach. And the FBI should pride itself on bringing people into custody using the least amount of force necessary I know that they want to be able to call CNN and have a, have a raid headline, Chiron, uh, going as the, uh, the helicopter films them arresting somebody. And, and and know that sounds sexier and it gets them the attention that they, they feel like they are due. But I had way more success as a regular agent just on the phone calling somebody and saying, hey, there's going to be a arrest warrant for you. Can you come and meet me? You can make arrangements because now I've eliminated the unknown." If I told them, you're going to come, you're going to arrest, I'm going to handcuff you, I'm going to drive you to court, you can call your family ahead of time, they can come down there and then be there, and they can arrange to pick you up if the judge releases you. Once I've eliminated that unknown, I've eliminated most of the danger because that is what people fear, and that is what leads to violence on the hands of a subject.
1: Yeah, and, and, and I want to make it clear, even though this r- sounds like it runs counter to everything I've said my entire career, uh, you know, against second guessing use of force, and I'm always for using more force. But th- that's more with local law enforcement, because by definition, when you're on the scene, it's very volatile. It's happening right now. It's happening very quick. But usually FBI investigations, they're they're more long term things, like you're saying. So you could arrange for that. You don't have to come in and put yourself in these situations. And that's that's. That's what they did with Waco. That's what they did with Ruby Ridge. And that's what appears happened in this Utah case. In this case, would local law enforcement have been tipped off to the raid or do they sometimes just come in without informing them?
0: If it involves a national security investigation, they have to have a need to know. So I don't know what uh, what el- who they maybe uh, informed about it. I know it from my experience when there was a search warrant involving a counterterrorism investigation, we gave a need to know for a uh, chief of police and told them a location and nothing more, just so that if there was a call for service or a concern that that, that they were aware that we were going to be operating in that area. But because this was a threat to the president, uh, I imagine that they, they elevated it to a, a domestic terrorist and therefore were able to cut out local law enforcement from it. I know the friends who I've been able to cultivate within media were reaching out to local law enforcement and they all said that they did not they were not aware that what was going on that day
1: see I think that's what legislatures need to start doing and again I don't want to get into this thing with the supremacy clause like you know it's the same thing with the federal government invades the state with the car the states with the cartels right they invade the states oh well, Daniel I don't know if states could get rid of them it's a federal yeah but I mean they can't break the social compact, and then you have no tools to fight back against that. You know, what happens? They take you to court. We'll see. But that the point is not so much the mechanical legal process, but it's the political PR process of the states starting to assert themselves and work together with the people of those states to raise questions. I think this is really where it needs to head. Do you have any information about this Albuquerque case? I can't find any information on it.
0: I don't. I mean, I've been scanning as much as I could. It it was buried completely. And just as the other two shootings, really, there was one in Tennessee. Um, There was one in Philadelphia. And there's really just no information. So in the last three weeks, the FBI has shot and killed four people. And the only one that received any attention was the one where there was a threat to the president. And we don't know the reason. We don't have a name. No, no, not not at all. And I've I've reached out to my network. um, What I believe... uh, in Tennessee you might be connected to a child pornography investigation, uh-huh. but I haven't verified that. And, and that is another issue too. That stems from the shootout that happened where two agents were killed in Miami division. And, uh, there was more, you know, Debbie Wasserman Schultz was jumping all over that when I testified. Um, I happen to know that one of the agents that was on that squad. And then there was a lot more details that were uh, not released to the public involved there. And, uh, it, it, because of that, the FBI has used that to justify using SWAT more often because certainly you think somebody who's committing a computer crime is deplorable and uh, abhorrent as child pornography is. That doesn't necessarily make you think they're going to be violent, but the FBI says, well, if, if the least likely character who's going to carry out violent carries out a shooting, then we need to probably address most scenarios using a SWAT team.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean that that, that is the problem, and, and again – I think local law enforcement is much more suited for that. I just want to move on quickly before we end. This targeting of Catholics from the Richmond office of the FBI. Explain to me how that happens. Is this all from the left wing management? I mean, what 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 agent that got into the service when you did would be interested in
0: that? So that is a couple of factors combining or is pulling in the same direction. One, there's a quota system. The FBI has to create a certain number of intelligence products every year. So intelligence analysts are always looking for opportunities. And that was the most disturbing word in that entire intelligence report was the word opportunity, because I think it sums up everything that we have that's a problem with the FBI now, as opposed to being law enforcement, which is focused on bringing crime down because of its quota system. The FBI wants to bring crime stats and numbers up. So the FBI was looking for an opportunity to recruit recruit informants. And in this case, the, uh, the author of this intelligence report, um, just reading through it, it, it was uh, pretty apparent to me that uh, this intelligence analyst, highly likely that this intelligence analyst self-deployed to parishes. There seemed to be a lot of animosity that this individual had, and I have some background on that is probably an individual who had a Jesuit education and was able to infiltrate on his own almost like a Jack Ryan into the Catholic parishes within the Richmond area of responsibility, and then generate this intelligence product, which was Mm -hmm. essentially saying, we can recruit sources within the parishes to inform on their fellow parishioners who might be prone to become anti-government extremists because they have beliefs that are pro-marriage, pro-border sovereignty, pro-life, which, again, are shared by a large swath of the American public, but the FBI now deems them to be problematic enough to make you prone to radicalization against the government.
1: So, so again, the important thing you're saying is it's not just ideological, but it's also driven by the tail wagging the dog, their modus operandi, and this is really why we shouldn't have such robust federal law enforcement because by definition, it's not germinated from what's going on on the streets. It becomes bureaucratic, and they're looking for things. So, you know, you got quotas. So, all right, I get, need, need to get more informants. I need to find more more threats. And this is the one they're honing in on, which is why who knows what they're looking into, people like us. Um, I saw recently this this thing they put out, the FBI had this article they put out, 30-second sextortion conversation starters. What the hell is that?
0: I, it was sort of a, a collaborative project that they were doing with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children where their questions and they were answering them back and forth with each other. Um, but my, my response to that is, look, you just hired a contractor who was grooming 14-year-old boys, so they probably should steer away from that. Certainly, my experience in working in child pornography and child exploitation matters um, those are serious issues, but the FBI was not willing to to take them on uh, if it meant sacrificing other things that it deemed to be a higher priority and and child exploitation is a low priority. That's the way the way it's banded within the FBI most FBI field offices. Domestic terrorism is deemed to be a higher threat, so we need to throw more resources at it, which is why I was taken off of those investigations in preference of the January 6th cases. But when it comes to this sextortion, this was a problem that was rampant, that I was dealing with with so many kids who were self-producing content and putting it out there and then being essentially exploited and and, uh, roped into paying off bribes because they were so fearful that their parents or their loved ones would become aware that they'd sent these pictures off to themselves by these, um, these nefarious actors. And then as a result of that, there were some suicides. So it was definitely worth... The FBI's time and resources to address the threat. Unfortunately, you know, putting a uh, a Twitter thread together is insufficient, from my stance. I,
1: I mean that that that's the thing. It's just it's just like having the EPA run law enforcement. There's no purpose to it. Uh, so, th- what I'm saying is universal. Everyone agrees. But the question is, where we go from here? Are you hearing from any of your contacts that there is any appetite from House GOP leadership? To actually take all this energy in the bottle and and say, look, we are going to defund a lot of these programs come October first. I have not,
0: and I'm very disappointed by that. I mean, even after testifying, one of the first things that I heard in the conversations in the back rooms was that they were going to not fund the new FBI headquarters, which to me was just <laughs> not even secondary. It's it's the it's bottom a shiny of object. Barros. It's a shiny object. I don't care where they're working. The DNA is corrupted. We need to make structural changes. However, I just read today that they are now expecting to, to release the location of the new headquarters construction. So they're not even going to follow through on that element of it. And they, I think they are fearful, Daniel, of being labeled as defund the police. And yes. there's a way to actually go about reforming the FBI that is not defunding the police. We we put out a budget recommendation at Center for Renewing America that defunds the intelligence apparatus that the FBI and the FBI makes no secret about. It. It's an intelligence agency. The domestic investigation operations guide, which is its rule book, lists intelligence gathering ahead of investigations. But defunding that mechanism and certainly pairing back the, the counterintelligence, counterterrorism areas that are just bloated out of control, that those funds can be routed to actual criminal investigations and beef up what those are, increase that funding. And overall, the budget of the FBI will be cut significantly. But the thing that that the American people expect from its premier law enforcement agency, that needs to be focused and and highlighted above this other tertiary items like intelligence collection, which actually do not provide any benefit to us whatsoever. They might be able to say we've collected a list of a thousand people in Hawaii who were missing. That's not a law enforcement role. And the fact that you're able to say, "Well, look, look, it's a good thing that because because we collected this intelligence." Well, my question is, how did you collect that intelligence? What legal authority do you have to do that? And these need to be questions that our representatives need to ask. And unfortunately, they're just they went after the shiny object they didn't even follow through on that.
1: They didn't even follow through, and and that's the thing. And and look, I'm very, you know, very dubious about the need for an FBI to begin with, when you have robust local and and state law enforcement. Fundamentally, you have a military, and then law enforcement is state and local. But it's it's unrealistic that you're going to abolish it. You know, sometimes when we, it, it, when we shoot high, you don't that that doesn't happen. So you're saying you put pen to paper and identified the specific things that are very would, would would gain a lot of resonance with the American people if they stood up and they stayed in for the August recess, which of course they didn't, and you know again center for renewing america you just look up cra budget and focus ending the weaponization of the fbi and you have you know you know six or seven bullet points there on what would actually denude them of the ability to politically target to just engage in stupid things that don't uh serve the public and and defangs their ability to be unleashed on political opponents and then also you know separately you've talked a lot about it, the red states just standing up to it. This is what we need to do. We need to direct it. It's like, Daniel, don't you think this is so important? I'm like, yeah, I think it's more important than you think it is. And that's why I don't think we could afford to just talk about it. We have to do something about it. And I really appreciate you being one of the few whistleblowers that, you know, because most whistleblowers start with substance, but then they get moved into the inertia of this fame and uh you could you could earn a nice living kind of just talking about it and using your expertise to talk about it but you actually want to do something about it and i really think this work needs to be recognized and i want to get you in front of some people who will listen um so again you are you're at at real steve friend on um on twitter and where, where do you
0: write you, you write some columns as well yeah, I, um, I, I've i published some columns in The Federalist, but most recently, I most often write for UncoverDC.com. That's, uh, that's Tracy Bean's website. She's she's published multiple columns that I have. I had one this week where I was talking about an issue that I know you have, which is a mutually assured destruction, uh, where I would expect red state district attorneys and attorneys general to bring criminal charges against prominent Democrat politicians in order to restore some sort yep. of Balance to the force. Consumer protection will. statutes, and
1: actually- you know, where, where they defraud the public, they lie. You know, if that's what you're going to do, you defraud the public on the election. You could do the same thing on green energy. You could do the same thing on COVID in particular. I really think we need to look into Texas going after DHS officials that are directly engaged in collaboration with the cartels and human smuggling. There's a lot of statutes on that. Um, again, it's about doing, not just talking. We're gonna keep doing that. That's what we're about. I know that's what you're about. Uh, so today, you didn't have to listen to the show. You are on it. I appreciate your. You've been such a, a long time fan of mine and Steve's, and and we appreciate everything you've done to sacrifice your career. And hopefully, we'll actually uh, achieve some sort of means. So thank thanks for joining us. Thank you all for joining us. We're out of time. Till tomorrow. God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.